righty then. Good morning. Welcome in. Thanks for joining us for a Thursday edition of Christian Worldview with Dr. Tony Beam. That would be me. And you got a lot of shows to choose from. We're here. And we're glad you decided to be here with us. This is Tony Beam, Director of Church and Community Engagement for the Tim Brazier Campus of North Greenville University, where Christ makes the difference and where we are equipping transformational leaders for the church and for society. I also serve as the Director of Public Policy for the South Carolina Baptist Convention, and I'm currently the interim pastor at Five Forks Baptist Church over in Simpsonville. By the way, if you don't have a church home, you can have one today. It's free, as I say. You can come over to Five Forks and join us at 1030 this Sunday morning. I'm excited about this weekend because our youth minister, um, our associate pastor for youth, is uh, uh, Matt is going to be basically taking over the service along with the youth this Sunday morning. It's it's D-Now weekend at Five Forks. And he's going to be, the the youth will be leading us in worship, and he's going to be bringing the message. And I'll tell you what, man, we are so blessed at the church to have an incredible staff. Uh, Matt Bradley um, and and our uh, is our youth minister, uh, uh, children's minister, Jordan Manley. I'm having trouble speaking the King's English today. And um, just great, great folks. Tony Sirico is our uh, interim worship leader and is is also doing an amazing job. Um, we had great attendance Sunday morning, a lot of excitement uh, flowing around the church right now, and I'm thankful for that. Looking forward to uh, Five Forks being able to find the ne- the person that God is calling to be the next pastor of the church. All right, if you're watching on Facebook Live, you know we have a special guest in the studio today, Noah Burgess. Welcome, sir. Good morning. I'm Good. glad to be here. Yeah, well, we're glad to have you. So uh, from for what reason art thou here today? What is your interest in radio? How did that get started? Well, I'm a student at the University of South Carolina, okay. and I'm majoring in broadcast journalism, and oh. I want to bring truth back into the news media you often talk on this show about the distortion of the truth right found on most major networks nbc msnbc cnn i could go on so i see that and especially during the pandemic it's something that became very close to home going through school all the lockdowns kind of destroying social life in my senior year And I was already a little bit interested in politics, and that gave me more time to get deep into it. Most people my age don't know very much about politics. Right. They don't realize how ubiquitous it is, really, in every facet of life. And like I said, just going to school. If you want to go to school in person and and see your friends and be able to make friends without being six feet apart with masks on in every single class— then that's a political view. So I'm really interested in in bringing truth back, and this is an opportunity, I believe, to get a step in that direction. Well, man, that's exciting. That's uh, I, I'm really glad to hear all that. You know, I uh, I, I really feel for you. I, I can't imagine being a senior in high school when we went through all of that mess with the lockdowns and the masking and the you can't go here and you can't go there. Uh, you know, I, I remember my senior year in high school. I mean, that's that's when you get to be the king for a year. You know, you, you get to walk around and kind of survey 
all all of the rest of those that are still laboring away in high school. And and it just, I can imagine, it just took the wind out of your sails. Um, so broadcast journalism, what specific area are you thinking about? A news anchor? Do you want to be a news reporter, writer, what? I would love to be a news anchor, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, to have my own show one day, that would be amazing. Uh, if I have to go through other steps to get there, then I'm absolutely willing to do that. I'm mm-hmm. working on my writing skills right now. and Excellent. In the J School, we have all kinds of great classes for that. Well, you know, my son went to the University of South Carolina uh, School of Journalism. He graduated, worked for the state newspaper for about 12 years, um, then went to Kentucky and covered the state house for the Associated Press for Kentucky for five years, and now he's in California, and he's been out there about five years covering the state house in Sacramento for the AP. So, um, at, at, you know, now he decided in the sixth grade he wanted to be a journalist when, or some type of writer, journalist, media, whatever. Uh, when did you make that decision? Was that more recent, or did you know early on that's what you wanted to do? So during that pandemic, when I got interested, that, I that, yeah. I decided that I wanted to be involved politically somehow. Mm-hmm. I didn't know exactly how yet. And originally, my major was political science, but really political science is more political theory, and it's not so much modern. Right. And I thought I could minor in broadcast journalism, and you can only minor in journalism and I wanted specifically broadcast journalism. So I had made that decision by probably freshman year of college. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I, I think it's a good decision. Um, you, look, journalists that do their job well, and I put my son in this category. I'm just extremely proud of him because he writes the stories. He writes with a flair, but he doesn't inject himself into the story. He interviews he accurately reflects the information that he gains. Um, and really, journalists are supposed to be the questioners of the, of the powerful, of the people that have the reins of democracy. Uh, they're supposed to function as umpires, uh, really, calling the balls and strikes. They're, they're supposed to be the watchdog. And I've, I've made this analogy a lot of times on the show, but, you know, the media has evolved from being the watchdog uh, to being the lapdog, um, for uh, the Democrat, particularly for progressives, and now they're actually functioning as the guard dog. Whatever p- progressives say, whatever narrative they put out, then most of the mainstream media uh, are quick to guard that. I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll bark and bare their teeth and come after anybody that undermines a progressive narrative. So it's extremely important. Um, that we have, uh, you know, believers like yourself who have a value system that's based in something more than just what we can see in this world and is willing to stand up for the truth. So I, I really applaud that. I'm looking forward to seeing what God does with your life. All right. One of the bills I've been telling you about that's uh, been w- working its way so far through the House, although there is a version in the Senate, is what has come to be known as the hate crimes bill. It's actually H3014 if you want to look it up. And by the way, any of these bills, if you want to know the text, if you want to know the sponsors, if you want to know where it is in the legislative process, you need to download an app to your phone. It's um, uh, scstatehouse.gov. 
is the website to go to. But if you if you go to the App Store and look for SC Statehouse, you can download the app to your phone, and you can look up any of this. You you, you have to have the bill number. Uh, well, you don't actually have to have it. Um, well, bill like this. Uh, if you put in hate crimes in the search, it'll pull up all of the hate crimes related bills. And then you'll have to figure out which one is actually making it through, you know, has been through the process. But it'll tell you all that. I, I would highly recommend that. If you want to stay in touch and figure out, you know, what's going on down in the Senate, that app actually lets you watch uh, subcommittee hearings live. Uh, you can hear testimony. You can watch the full hearings, full committee hearings. You can watch the House and Senate as they debate. Um, it's really, a, a, I couldn't get by without it. But anyway, 3014 passed yesterday. It's named after Senator Clementa Pinckney, who was one of the nine churchgoers killed in 2015 at Charleston's Emanuel AME Church. The bill passed the House 84 to 31. This is all according to the state newspaper uh, on Wednesday, nearly two years after the lower chamber passed a similar measure that stalled and died in the Senate. Um, the bill tax on an ad- on additional penalties against anyone who commits a violent crime. Now this is and this is important because I'll come back to it in a minute, but a violent crime, the violent crime language was important an important part of the bill because the language last year included much more than violent crimes. And I'll I'll explain that in a minute. But this is limited to a violent crime against a person based on their race, color, religion, sex, gender, national origin, sexual orientation, or physical or mental disability. Now, a lot of folks have been questioning why me, uh, representing the uh, public policy arm of the South Carolina Baptist Convention, why we as Palmetto family, why Alliance Defending Freedom would oppose hate crimes legislation. And the, it's not because we're a bunch of prejudiced people that we want to go around and crusade or, or encourage people to attack another person because of their race or gender or any of those things. That's not the case at all. In fact, what happened eight years ago at Emanuel AME Church, um, the death of nine African Americans by someone who was clearly a racist uh, was horrific, and they deserve whatever penalties our justice system can mete out because of a crime at that level. Um, and our hearts go out to the families that were affected. Uh, and just in a, I mean, these were people that were gathered to worship on a midweek prayer service, and in walks um, a white supremacist who murders nine innocent people. I mean, it's horrible. So. Uh, I uh, we I have no problem with a major crime having additional penalties. P- part of my problem is that already in South Carolina, prosecutors have the ability to add on penalties or up the charge based on the motivation of the person carrying out the crime, and so having something else added on to that, I've just always wondered. You know, what, what is the, the true motivation here? Is that really going to deter? Is it deterrence? Is it, it's not rehabilitation? Um, is it revenge? Um, is it justice? And then that's where I kind of stopped. I said, okay, is it justice to add on penalties 
for a person if they commit a crime based on a known prejudice. And while I don't have a problem with that, my concern lies along the lines of how we determine whether that person was acting out of prejudice or animus or not. Uh, you know, what, what are you going to do? You go look at social media posts. Uh, did they yell racial uh, slurs while they were committing the crime? Uh, had, they posed, had they said something in advance, told somebody? I mean, I understand there's kind of like breadcrumbs of evidence. We can go back and trace our way to discover what the motivating factors were. But that can be tricky business. And the, the reason that I opposed this bill the last time is because it had a stalking um, uh, statute in there, which would say that a hate crime could be linked to stalking. And stalking in South Carolina can include speech. It can include, um, you know, something that a person could be made uncomfortable. The last hate crimes bill actually included right of action, against uh, someone because you made them feel uncomfortable by, by your speech. And that, I mean, all of those things were taken out. I want to be clear, they were removed from the bill. And as we got closer and closer to getting a bill that passed, I felt better and better about the bill passing. Um, I'm still not convinced that, that it's necessary, but for those who believe it's necessary, this is probably the best bill and the most directed, the cleanest bill, I should say, without a lot of extra things that could cause unintentional consequences being attached. The last thing in this bill that we worked yesterday and in this previous week that really got a lot of, I mean, some legislators aggravated with me, um, was to take out what's known as the Bostock definition of sex. Now, for those of you who don't know what that is, Bostock versus Clayton was a Supreme Court case that the Supreme Court dealt with several years ago that became a Title VII question. Title VII has to do with employment uh, law. Title IX has to do with discrimination, and uh, now it has to do with sexual harassment. That's been added into it, but it used to have to do primarily with making sure that uh, schools had the same number of sports for girls offering to them as they do guys um, programs. I mean, it was designed and also employment or, or majors and so forth in college and, and curriculum, making sure that girls were not being left behind. So, and of course, now we don't, we don't know what a girl is and what a guy is, so I'm not sure what that does to Title IX. But for Title VII purposes, uh, the case that was became sort of famous was an employee out of Clayton, uh, Georgia, that worked for a funeral home in the area that, you know, showed up one day wearing a dress and declared that it was a male, and he declared himself to be female and, and showed up in a dress. Well, obviously, it's a funeral home. This is a very somber environment. This is where people come when they are grieving. And a lot of people that have been in ministry, once they retire or, uh, you know, step back from a full-time position, they'll go work at a funeral home because they've developed the skills over the years to be compassionate, to counsel, to pray with, to encourage. They, they know how to behave around someone who's really going through one of the most difficult times of their life because they've lost a loved one. So you can imagine 
if you're in a rural community and, you know, everybody pretty much agrees that there are two sexes and you walk in at a very uh, vulnerable time and there's a man wearing a dress, that can be a little bit disconcerting. So they decided that if he was going to wear a dress, he couldn't work there. And the Supreme Court has said, uh, oh, yes, he can, uh, that you can't discriminate based on sex. And so the word sex, this goes back to 1967 to the Civil Rights Code. The word sex is in the Civil Rights Code in terms of discrimination. Or, and, and so what, what, you know, what does that word mean? Well, now the Supreme Court in Bostock, there is no, something known as the Bostock definition of sex, which includes sexual preference and gender identity. Now, because Bostock was a, a Supreme Court decision, and that, were, that, that definition is in that decision, even though Supreme Court Justice Gorsuch said, look, this needs to stay in the box, so to speak. We don't want our determination of the word sex to migrate beyond Title VII for employment purposes. Well, he can say that all day, but courts are going to use that. For example, the Bostock definition of sex had already been used in arguments against schools that have segregated bathrooms. And when I'm, you know, used to be segregated bathrooms meant what? Black, white, separate but equal. Now it means men, women. So you go into a school and you have a bath, a school that makes the decision, we're going to let everybody go to whatever bathroom they want to go to, regardless of biological gender, then there's going to be lawsuits flying. And progressives are using the Bostock language. They, they pick it up out of the Supreme Court. They say, look, you just set a precedent here. The Supreme Court has defined sex and, and then, you know, the attorneys on the other side are going to say, yes, but that's for the purpose of Title VII employment. Judge uh, Justice Gorsuch made, Gorsuch made clear, doesn't matter. I mean, it matters what the judge thinks, matters what the court says. So use, it, is, it is established. And I, I sent an article from the Heritage Foundation to um, a, a series of lawmakers. Uh, I sent information from Alliance Defending Freedom. And, you know, th those guys are pretty sharp attorneys over there um, at both organizations, but certainly ADF, because they argue before the Supreme Court all the time. So, and, and, and their opinion was that, yes, because Bostock had migrated before, if it was enshrined in South Carolina law, even in a hate crimes context, that it would migrate. It would not stay there. It would end up being used for other statutes. And I can, I can think of one right off the top of my head. What was it? Last year, we passed the Save Women Sports Bill in South Carolina that prohibits uh, biological men from competing against women. Uh, with that definition from the Supreme Court enshrined in a hate crimes law, how long do you think it would take for uh, someone to bring a lawsuit against the Save Women Sports Bill, pull the Bostock language that had then been passed, if, that, if this it gets passed by the Senate and if it gets signed by the governor, pull that language out and say, wait a minute, what are we doing over here when we pass this law over here defining sex as sexual preference? or sexual or gen, uh, gender identity. So that's the best way I know how to explain it. That's why I felt like many of us felt like that language had to come out. And uh, it, it's not because we're 
trying to hurt people. It's not because we don't think that people who are attacked, that their perpetrator should be punished. They should be. But it should not be enshrined in law that allows a a language that allows attorneys or people who are coming against the religious liberty of Christians and other faiths that believe that men are men and women are women and that uh, gender and sexual orientation is something that is designed by God. You know, I listened to Ben Shapiro, and not sexual orientation designed by God. Let me back up. That's confusing. That our our sexual orientation is set by God. You know, I, I, I listened to uh, Ben Shapiro yesterday, and he went through this and, and was just, he was brilliant in the way that he talked about it because he said, you know, as long as we stay within the God-designed parameters of sexuality and sex, we have order in society. When we break down those barriers, we have chaos on multiple levels. Look, uh, First Lady Jill Biden, uh, Jill Biden, I said that, it could be First Lady Joe Biden, I guess, but First Lady Jill Biden and Secretary of State Anthony Blinken were slammed Wednesday, this is according to Fox News, for presenting a biological male from Argentina with an award for women on International Women's Day. Uh, This year's annual International Women of Courage Award ceremony at the White House honored 11 extraordinary women from around the world who are working to build a brighter future for all, according to a State Department press release. Argentinian Alba Riuda was introduced at the ceremony as a transgender woman who was kicked out of classrooms, barred for sitting uh, for sitting for exams, refused job opportunities, subjected to violence, and rejected by her family. But in the face of these challenges, she worked to end violence. Excuse me. He worked to end violence. And yes, I am misgendering. That's, I'm, I'm doing that. I, that the fact that that's even a thing or a term, I, I find fascinating. Uh, to end violence and discrimination against the LGBTQ plus community in Argentina. So we've come to the point now where we're allowing um, female weightlifters to weightlift as males, or is it's the other way around. Male weightlifters lift with female weightlifters. Um, and now here we are with the Biden administration actually honoring a man, a biological man, on a day when on International Women's Day, does any does anybody see the irony here? I mean, why aren't feminists absolutely apoplectic about this? I mean, how are women going to be able to assert women's rights or demand equality or be treated fairly if any if a man can decide that they're a woman and receive accolades? and praise as if they actually are women. It's, a, it's the erasure. I mean, people have written, written about this, that women are being erased in our society. Um, and, of course, we could say the same thing for men. But it seems to me that the, the trend is mostly men who decide they want to be women, particularly if you're in an all-male prison. But it, it's, there's also other places that seems to be the trend. Why, why is it not the other way around more often than not? I don't know. I, I, and I don't know that I, I want to know. I, I just know that we, we can't live in total chaos 
in a society that doesn't recognize the difference between the differences, the, the genuine, biological, physiological. Um, I mean, there are many differences between males and females. And can I just say, and I can't remember the first person who said this, but viva la difference. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy about the difference because God created men and women for the purpose of procreation, for the purpose of being stewards over the earth, for the purpose of creating a family where children uh, are nurtured and cared for and loved by a member of the ma- a male and a female, um, and of course, sexual relationships within the boundaries of marriage is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing that God has given as a gift for uh, you know comfort, for uh, just joy. I mean, it's a, a the union of a man and a woman when they become one flesh in in every sense of the word uh, or the phrase is just a it's a beautiful thing. And when that when that lasts over a lifetime and it's put in the proper perspective, it it really is the the depth of love and relationship and the strength of of the bond between two people grows as it expands and creates family, which is. That, that's what the purpose is. You know, Ben Shapiro was talking about this yesterday. He said you start out with the talking stage. And in the talking stage, there's very little to no physical contact. And it's kind of like stage one if you have four stages. And then you move forward. And then you, you, you get married. And then you have sex. And then you have children. And then you create the home and establish it. And you know, another thing that no, very few people talk about today, uh, but I think it's incredibly important for Christians to maintain this witness, that the book of Ephesians tells us that the love that a man has for his wife is symbolically illustrating the love that Christ has for his bride, the church. And so when we, when we do something to marriage— in this country, we're not just undermining an institution that's critical for the health of society and the perpetuation of our culture, although that's certainly true, but we're also marring a picture, a spiritual picture that God has painted for the importance of a relationship between a man and a woman within the context of marriage. And all of this stuff just really I, it's it's hard to believe. Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, tweeted out yesterday. It's International Women's Day, a good time to remember that Democrats can't even tell you tell, tell you what a woman is. Yeah, uh, Dana Dana Lash 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 Lash. Okay, thank you. L O E S C H. I should know that. Um, said nice of Flotus. That'd be First Lady of the United States to encourage the diminishment of women on International Women's Day. That's exactly right. Is this not lowering the value of a woman by honoring a man when it's a woman award, an award for a woman? Um, Joe, uh, let's see. Greg Price tweeted: Jill Biden presents an International Woman of Courage Award to a biological male on hashtag International Women's Day at the White House. Um, International Women's Day, not just for women anymore. You remember that commercial? What was it? Uh, There was a deodorant that was strong enough for a man, but made for a woman. Secret, that was the name of it. So I guess you don't have to say that anymore. 
you can just say secret and let that be the the statement because it it doesn't matter whether it's for a man or for a woman um why are the democrats this is coming from caroline uh, levitt why are the democrats working overtime to push the trans agenda uh i've wondered that myself although it is i mean it's a mark of chaos it's the overturning of a um, of, of a society and a system. And if you go back and read the Communist Manifesto or the Humanist Manifesto, you find that one of the goals, and I'm, I, you know, you, we can debate about whether this is actually being applied or not, although I think it's not very debatable, but one of the goals is to upend society as it exists and replace it with a Marxist-based society. You can't have you, you can't have two competing societies in the same space, so you got to get rid of one if you're going to substitute something else. And I really think all of this, all, all of this sexual confusion, is part of the, the, the attempt to upend any kind of traditional uh, societal understanding of relationships and replace it with something that is completely chaotic. So anyway, you were talking. Uh, Noah, let me bring you in here. You were talking about it at the University of South Carolina. You, I mean, here in red state, South Carolina, that when you look at different departments and you have to fill out paperwork, you've got a whole bunch of options for gender. Oh, yeah. For the application to the university in the first place, marketing research, rate my professor, Anything, any survey relating to the university at all pretty much always has more options than male and female. Sometimes there's prefer not to say. Sometimes you have the extra pronouns they invented, Zs or all of that stuff. Right. And sometimes it's just a type-in because they don't even want to guess anymore. They're afraid to leave an option off one of the infinite genders. So they just have a type-in box and they let you pick that. So at this point, I'm happy whenever I see a male and female one or the other option on right. any gender selection survey but isn't it sad that that's not the expectation yeah. that means the diversity the university diversity officer hasn't gotten around to that department yet that's what meant what that means when you see male or female lisa welcome to the program good morning good morning hey. son hey hey good morning <laughs> i um well you know me tony you know how i feel about women and I consider myself a recovering woman's liber uh, because I don't believe in everything um, that they um, did for women, right. but they did do a lot of good things. And I just feel like, um, yes, I'm with you. Why aren't they outraged that all this work is being undone? I mean, what about, you know, equal pay for women and the glass ceiling and all of this? I mean, that's going to be a moot point, right? Right. Yeah, if, we, if there are no gender classifications that make sense that – are not rooted in reality and grounded in something other than everybody's opinion or personal identity, then you really how how do you celebrate women and men and the differences? I, I don't I, I think we lose that ability, uh, and we also lose something in our culture that's very important. As I was talking about the establishment of family with those models in place for a, a generation to come. Uh, so I I think we need all those things. But you're exactly right, Lisa. I really appreciate, it. and you do. You do have some opinions about women that are very, <laughs> that are very good, strong, and healthy. So I appreciate yeah. you calling in. You got a good son too, by the way. I want to say that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Somebody did a good job. I bet you. Um, but I bet it's uh, everybody that's poured into this young man. Thanks to the caller 
who I guess wanted to remain anonymous, who called in and reminded me about a meme that came down, came out in uh, December of 2018, and it's Chuck Norris, and he's saying, "I too was once a woman trapped in a man trapped in a woman's body, but then I was born." So that's just that's just good stuff. I'm going to see if I can copy that. I don't know if I can, but I would I'll put it somewhere. All right, uh, just okay. It got me started. Three Chuck Norris jokes. Just three, I promise, and then we're gonna mo- we're gonna move on. Chuck Norris was exposed to COVID nineteen. You know what happened? No. COVID nineteen had to go into quarantine for a month. That sounds right. Yeah, yeah. Chuck Norris didn't call the wrong number. You answered the wrong phone. Yes. You have to keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chuck Norris didn't cheat death. He won fairly and squarely. <laughs> Chuck Norris doesn't do push-ups by pushing his body up. He, he pushes, pushes the, the earth, earth away. Down. That's right. One more. I said only three, but I'm going to th- Chuck Norris' tears cure cancer. It's a pity that he's never cried, ever. So we can't have the cure for cancer. Okay, enough of that. Um, I, I love Chuck Norris. Let's uh, talk a little bit about, we were talking uh, earlier about a tweet that Sarah Huckabee Sanders put out. I should say Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders from Arkansas, and um, you know she was she was talking about this insanity about recognizing a man on the International Day of Women. But this is an incredible story out of Arkansas today. It's being reported by Samantha Kamen from Christian Post. Arkansas passes universal school choice program, bans teaching of sexuality before the fifth grade. Now, you know, everybody's talking about Ron DeSantis down in Florida, which it's really good that we don't have questions about sexuality starting, you know, it's banned in Florida from K-5 through the third grade. But here in one fell swoop in Arkansas, under Sarah Huckabee Sanders' leadership, we get school choice that's real, and we get a ban on the teaching of sexuality to elementary school children, essentially. I mean, when you get in the sixth grade, that's considered middle school or junior high, usually sixth, seventh, and eighth, sometimes sixth and seventh, based on how the high school is set up. But the point is that it's not appropriate for children to be exposed to confusion uh, or ideas about sexuality that are way outside of the mainstream at before they get to be a certain age. I mean, they're going to encounter that stuff. But they don't need to have it in front of them or pushed on them, certainly while they're in elementary school. And so this is, this is a major step forward. And I, I really applaud states that are taking this kind of uh, approach. And, of course, Sarah Huckabee Sanders is not wasting any time in letting her influence be felt as a conservative governor. Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders signed a sweeping education bill into law on Wednesday. Again, this is Christian Post, becoming the fifth state to enact a universal school choice program. The law also bans certain topics from being taught in public classrooms. The legislation, Senate Bill 294, also known as Arkansas, the Arkansas Learns Act, passed the Senate by a vote of, listen to this, 26 to 8. Now, folks, we've got some good people in Columbia. You hear me say this all the time. I'm not one of these people that is going to come out here and trash every lawmaker and talk about how we can't get anything done uh, all the time. But I am going to say that it, it, here we are. It's a bit frustrating. 
in South Carolina that we're messing around on the edges of school choice while Arkansas is just plowing forward to pass a school choice bill that also uses common sense in the classroom, requires it by law, and it passes by an overwhelming majority. I mean, we've got 46 senators. Do, do you think we could get a vote like it takes 24 senators? The thing is, 30 out of the 46 senators in the South Carolina Senate are Republicans. They've got an R by their name. Why are we not doing this? Why should we not? Governor McMaster just won re-election by 18 points, one of the largest margins in South Carolina history for the governor, if not the largest. Why can't we get this kind of legislation done on a timely in a timely fashion? She was just elected governor uh, back in November in the midterms of 2022. So it seems to me that you know we could get something done that quickly with a governor as popular as Governor McMaster, who is a Republican, and a Senate that's made up of uh, out of 46, 30 Republicans. Um, so anyway, the bill includes a plan for the state to adopt a universal school choice program by the 2025-2026 school year. So they're going to you know, they're going to lean into it. They're going to move toward it gradually, which I, I get that. I mean, you can't just – if you're going to really have universal school choice, you drop it like a bomb. I mean, it could cause some real transition issues. So they're going to work toward it just a, a little bit more each year until you get to full universal choice in 2025. Students who have disabilities are facing homeless um, – students who have disabilities are facing homeless. That doesn't make any sense. Attended a failing school – I guess, homelessness, attended a failing school in the previous school year or have parents who are active duty military are eligible to receive vouchers for the 2023-24 school year. The vouchers will be known as educational freedom accounts. Under the bill, education funding is tied to students, giving them 90% of what schools receive per student and state funding to support their private school or homeschool education. It also calls for a starting salary of $50,000 for teachers, placing Arkansas among the states with the highest minimum teacher pay. We just elected Ellen Weaver, a conservative leader, as superintendent of education along with Governor McMaster, along with supermajorities of Republicans in the Senate and in the House. Guys, let's get this done. I mean, again, good people down there in Columbia, most of them trying to get good things done for the state of South Carolina, but we need to speed up the timetable a little bit. We ought to be turning out conservative legislation the way Arkansas is, the way Florida is. Tennessee just signed a ban they just the governor just signed a ban on drag queen shows for minors now i mean to me that seems like it should be pretty easy before that they signed a ban on transgender transgender surgery puberty blockers and cross hormones for minors and we have we done that in south carolina no now the one hospital that was doing that had their money cut off from the state to cause them to stop doing it thanks to Senator Josh Kimbrell. But, you know, we don't, we don't have legislation. We've got legislation in the Senate. But, you know, what, what are we working on here? Why can't—I I don't understand why we can't line up behind 
legislation like this and get it done rather quickly. Um, I think that's what the people of South Carolina thought they were getting. I don't think all these voters went to the polls and gave Henry McMaster and uh, Lieutenant Governor Evett uh, this historic win and increased the number of Republicans in the House from, I think, 81 or 82 to 88, which is a supermajority, or did the same thing for in the last election for the Senate and expected to have conservative legislation like this bogged down. It should be on a fast track, uh, mimicking other conservative states, as I said, like Florida, Tennessee, and now Arkansas. I'm telling you, this is going to— this will radically change test scores. It will uh, create a, a better environment, a better culture in the state of Arkansas. Um, it's common sense stuff that Sarah Huckabee Sanders is leading the state to do. I'll tell you what, her stock rises every day with me. I, I just I was amazed at the quality of her response to President Biden's State of the Union address. I thought it was well done. Um, she had a lot to say. She delivered those remarks clearly and without compromise, um, pretty much the way she distinguished herself when she was the press secretary for President Trump and basically was taking the slings and arrows um, and pushing back with an appropriate amount of force. Um, I, I really I think her political career is just beginning. I mean, this being governor of Arkansas is a good start following in her father's footsteps, but I think she's going to end up with higher office at some point uh, if Republicans, I think, are smart. Okay, uh, what do we got? About a minute? Let me, yeah, let me go ahead and wrap up this uh, hour of the show, the first hour, by telling you his radio talk, 919897, is going to be coming to an end as a format for here on March 31st. It's going to be a music format. You get up April 1st, turn on the radio, uh, don't think it's April Fool's. It's an actual change in the format to music. But this show is not going away. Uh, we're going to have a website. It's going to be drtonybeam.com, drtonybeam.com. You'll be able to go to that website, stream this program live from every morning from 7.30 to 8.30. We're going to back it down to an hour, so we're going to put it right in the middle of my 7 to 9 normal slot so that I can use that hour as a podcast. But you'll be able to listen live, streaming on the website. The name of the show is going to be Truth in Politics and Culture with Dr. Tony Beam. Uh, it'll be very much what this show is. It's just going to be a little bit shorter, a little more direct. Um, won't have as many breaks. In fact, we won't have any um, if you listen to the program live. So I hope you'll be joining us. And be listening for other programs that you like. They'll be telling you what they're going to be doing as well. Here's the news.